February 1st, I'm going all the way back to 1875. And we're going to get into why it, when I uh, wind this down a little bit. But Billy Sullivan is born, and he's going to debut in 1898. Um, Sullivan was a notoriously poor hitter, actually one of the worst hitters in Major League Baseball history. But uh, Sullivan is generally regarded as one of the best defensive catches of the dead ball era. So in 1901, uh, the American League is formed, and Sullivan goes to the Chicago White Sox. Um, it's a new American League team, and he's a catcher in the circuit's very first game, and he collects a pair of hits in an 8-2 to Chicago victory over the Cleveland Blues on April 24th. He will bat uh, 245 that season, but he's never going to top 229 again. Uh, he's going to hit actually as low as 162 in a full season, and he has an average below 200 five times. Now, between 1901 and 1911, the Sox never finished lower than fourth with Sullivan as their starting catcher. And they won two pennants in 1901 and 1906. Uh, during the two seasons that he missed significant playing time because of injuries in 1903 and 1910, the team finished more than 30 games out of first place. I long standard always think that the two most important defensive positions on the team were catcher and shortstop. You know, if you have a great defensive catcher who knows how to call a game, uh, they're worth more than they could ever hit. And that's probably why um, Molina is going to end up in the Hall of Fame. He certainly was not going to get there from his bat, but he was a tremendous defensive catcher. Um, but back to Sullivan. Um, Sullivan, actually, um, he went hitless. During the 1906 World Series, he went 0 for 21 with nine strikeouts. But in spite of that lack of production, uh, he played every inning of the series for the White Sox as they beat their crosstown rivals, the Chicago Cubs, in six games. Now, um, Sullivan batted only 213 lifetime, his second lowest batting average for a player with over 3,000 at bats. Um, the lowest belongs to Bill Bergen. Uh, contemporary catcher. Now, again, as poor as his offense was, his defense was outstanding, um, and he was reckoned to have the best throwing arm in the American League, and you know his ability to work pitches was second to none. He led the AL in fielding four times. Depends on what metrics you use there, right? It's worth mentioning. So the reason I mentioned Sullivan in 1875 is because I stumbled across this amazing interview with his son, um, Billy Jr., who actually played in the Major Leagues from 1931 to 1943. And he played in the 1940 World Series for the um, Detroit Tigers. And the Sullivans became the first father-son pair to have played in the World Series. When I stumbled across this interview, I found out I had always thought it was Roger Bresnahan that um, developed all the catching gear, but it actually was not. It was Sullivan um, who patented a lot of the catching gear that um, catchers still use to this very day. Now, Sullivan didn't have a lot of money, um, and he wasn't able to really follow through with his patents, but he actually developed the uh, equipment and patented them. And what I thought I would do is bring you this, this is about six-minute long interview here with um, Billy Jr. discussing his father, uh, what actually Ty Cobb thought of him as well, and it discusses the equipment and everything. And I really hope you enjoy it. I really um, found it fascinating to learn that detail that I did not know myself. I hope you enjoy it. And if you want to catch the entire interview, go over to Vintage Baseball Reflections. Um, it's over there if, um, for you to enjoy. Well, uh, could you tell me a little bit about your dad and some stories he's told you about the great old White Sox teams and growing up as the father of a famous ball player like that? 
I could, and I'd be happy to because my... Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking. It's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell, to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. My remembrances of, of my childhood and boyhood are, 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 are just wonderful, and I had a just wonderful father. He was absolutely terrific. Of course, as you know, he was a tremendous ball player. And he, he uh, we had, my mother, dad was very modest, but mother kept a, a scrapbook, and it was a huge scrapbook. It was about six inches thick. And I read articles in there, direct quotes from Ty Cobb, who was the greatest, at that time, the greatest base dealer and one of the greatest ball players of all time, said that my father, and he quoted this, was the greatest catcher that ever stood in shoe leather, which is quite a statement. And uh, But anyway, my dad was a very simple, kindly, wonderful man, with, uh, and uh, just a gentle type. It's amazing for the times when he played baseball, ball players weren't quite as, they were a little more rough and ready. Mm -hmm. He never drank. He, he didn't even smoke until my mother uh, bought him a pipe, and then she tried to take it away from him. From <laughs> then on, he never said any swear words at all. He had, had a couple of slang things. He'd say, holy mackinaw, and shucks, and things like that. That was, in fact, that reminds me of a story. One time, he was so gentle, he never really got on the umpires that much, but this one umpire was so bad, calling strikes, and Dad was catching that Dad, Dad uh, just looked at him and then walked over and got the, the uh, whisk broom that the umpires sweep off the home plate with and got the and swept off the home plate while looking up at the umpire and threw it over <laughs> and the umpire says you're out of the game he threw him out and dad said well i didn't swear at you that's about all they ever throw you out for swearing at them and he said well that's swearing for you <laughs> but he was he was a tremendous ball player and he caught almost every game for many many years the white Sox. when he first went up it further, if I can go way back, you'll sure pardon me. I, I I'll, I'll go all the way back. My dad was a country boy growing up in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, and as I say, very simple and 
uh, uncomplicated, nice type boy. And he started playing, I think, with Cedar Rapids. I'm a little fuzzy about what team was, but I think it was Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And they had some manager named Joe Cantillon there, and he was of the rough and ready type. And they, they had a dad was just starting out, and he told dad there was a man in first and third, and he told dad dad was catching. Dad told dad not to throw through if that fellow stole. Don't throw to second. Well, Dad had such a good arm, and, and when that fellow took off for second base, he couldn't resist it. His instincts, he just fired a strike right over second base. Of course, nobody's covering because they weren't expecting to throw one out out to center field. And Joe Cantillon just ripped him up and down. And, oh, it was a terrible balling out. And Dad was so crushed because he just started, you know. And he, he, he didn't say anything, he just packed his, his clothes and, and he was down in the railroad depot waiting for the train to go back home. He had just left and Joe Cantillon was hunting all over for him and found him down there. That might have ended his whole career, right? That's odd. But he, then he went on up to Boston when they only had one league, which was the National League. He caught for Boston. Uh, and then he uh, the American League was started, a whole brand new league was started, and he jumped from one league to the other, and he went with the White Sox, and so he was right with the White Sox from the very inception. Was the, the White Sox manager that I'm year. not sure, but Dad had a great regard for Clark Griffith, but I, I know that in 1906, Fielder Jones was a manager, so I don't know who was, whether Fielder Jones was also the manager then or not. I think... Uh, <coughs> Ben Johnson, who founded the league, was mm -hmm. a, is from Marietta. He went to our oh, college, right? so I've got a great interest in him and have spent an awful lot of time studying his career. Mm -hmm. And when he formed the league, I think Griffith was one of his raiders mm -hmm. who went through the National League too. And I think he was with the White Sox for just a year or so, many, or a couple. I of do years. remember my dad said Clark Griffith had the greatest control of any pitcher he ever caught, yeah. which is quite a compliment. Mm -hmm. Then. So then Dad was there with the White Sox year after year after year and uh, catching almost all the games. And, and one thing at that time, which in, in those early days, they, they used to, the catchers used to have a protector that you blew up with air, you inflated it. Yeah. And Dad was always fixing punctures in it and he got tired of having to pump it up each time they got to a new town. And he, this is not too well known, but he, designed, fabricated, and everything. The catcher's protector exactly as it is today with all the, the little, uh, the, I don't know how you'd express it, those, uh, it, those little rolls or tucks that, that form and follow your body. And he took it to Washington and patented it. And it was called the Sullivan Protector. And, he, and then, as always happens, there were other people were trying to infringe on the patents and everything. And, he had no time to, to be trying to combat all these yeah. infringements, so he sold the patent to Reach. And, it was a, and the only change that's happened in that protector since then, and, and Bertie Tebbis started this, was taking Start off that it. bottom part yeah. because people wear other kinds of protection beside yeah. that. But Dad was so proud of that, and he'd, he'd, he'd show how when you had a, a vertical seam all the way up and down, that when, when you put your arm out to catch the ball, that made the protector come out a little and gave you a, a cushioning effect uh -huh. there. Uh, but he, he caught there and then in 
19.6. They, I think they were in last place in August. And then Hitless Wonders of 19.6, very famous team. <coughs> and the Cubs, of course, were just out, way out ahead in their, their league, and they were a terrific team, one of the best of all time. And the White Sox were in last place, I guess, and they went on and they just won almost every game, and they ended up winning the pennant all in that last month and came in to play the the Cubs who were so great and here are the Hitless winners of the White Sox where nobody thought anything about them and they beat the Cubs and uh, it was those were the days yeah. of Ed Walsh pitching and uh, it was, it was great. great defense and good pitching. Right, terrific. They had, they had uh, of course Ed Walsh one of the greatest pitchers of all time. People talk about winning 20 games now. He won 40 yeah. games. Uh, did your dad talk about catching spitball pitchers? Is there yes, he talked about them a lot. Well, he he said that, of course, the spitball to be most effective had to be low, pitched low. And but Walsh, Walsh was was really could control it, and he pitched it low. And uh, he, uh, 